Well, hello, friends and neighbors. Uh, didn't plan on doing an episode of the Old Country Church today. I listened to a sermon this morning that really, really touched my heart, really spoke to me. Before I get into the sermon from Pastor Bruce Crabtree in Newcastle, Indiana, pastor of Sovereign Grace Church, I'm going to read something to you. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, it says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now I'm going to read something to you from the late pastor, Don Fortner, who was a pastor for many years at the Grace Baptist Church in Danville, Kentucky. But before I read his message here, I'm going to read some scripture for you from the book of John, chapter 13, verses 18 through 38. Like I said, friends, if you want to read along, this is a book of John, chapter 13, verses 18 through 38. I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that, when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit, and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spoke. Now there was a leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him, that he should ask who it should be of whom he spoke. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he have dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him, then said Jesus unto him, Thou doest, doeth quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this upon him. For some of them thought because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against a feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, let a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come, so now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, 
but ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that they are my disciples, if ye have love to one another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Now I'm going to read a message to you from, like I said, the late Pastor Don Fortner. The title of this message is Love One Another. Don wrote, Men look upon many things as evidences of divine grace in the heart. Most of those evidences which men look upon and applaud are so many forms of self-righteousness. They are things seen of men, pleasing to men, and honored by men, but they are abomination to God. In Luke chapter 16, verse 15, it says, And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your heart, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Friends, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 6, it says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So at our best, friends, our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags, and we are nothing without the righteousness that Christ Jesus gave us when he died on that old cursed tree on the cross at Calvary for his flock. We are nothing but filthy rags without the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Pastor Fortner continues to write, But our Lord Jesus Christ has plainly told us that there is one distinguishing characteristic by which all true believers may be identified. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have loved one another. If I have in my heart a true love for the people of God, then I am one of God's elect. If love is absent from my heart, grace is also absent from my heart. Just in case any do not know how to measure true love, Paul gives us a clear description in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7, Paul writes, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not charity, vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Pastor Fortner writes, Love is long-suffering. It is patient with the weakness, infirmities, and offenses of others. Love is not sharp, bitter, quick-tempered, and malicious, but kind. Love is not proud and selfish. It does not envy others, promote itself, and behave rashly. 
Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily provoked. True love for someone will prevent me from being easily offended by him and will cause me to forgive him quickly. Love thinks no evil. Love always looks for and thinks the best of his object. It looks for reasons to think good and not evil. Love does not harbor suspicion and jealousy and resentment. Love patiently bears all things in its object. If I love someone, I will bear without anger or hurt feelings almost anything from him because I trust him and believe the best concerning him. All anger, wrath, malice, suspicion, and gossip are contrary to that love which characterizes God's elect. They spring from the old man from the heart of the sinful flesh. We must repent on such things and turn from them. It is my constant prayer that the Lord God will teach me to love my brethren and teach me to show them true love for Christ's sake. Friends, I fall short in everything I do. Do you love your neighbor like you love yourself? I'd love to be able to tell you I do. But in this nature, in this flesh, I know I fall short. I fall short in every single thing that I do. I constantly pray that God gives me strength and that I grow in grace. But I know no matter what, I'm going to fall short. The Apostle Paul, Charles Spurgeon, Henry Mayhew, and anybody that you can think of when you think of men that were of strong faith, believers, they all fell short without the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. Like I said, friends, as it is written, at our absolute best, our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. The law, the commandments. You know, I fall short every day. I am a sinful creature by nature in this flesh. I'm a sinner. But I am a sinner saved by grace, by the grace of God. And without Christ Jesus dying for me, without He being my substitute, my sanctification, my justification, my redeemer, I wouldn't have any hope for salvation, friends. I grew up in Church of God. I grew up in Free Will Baptist. And all that preached on was how if you do this and you do this and you do this, you're saved. But even if I don't lie, if lies don't come from my mouth, even if I don't commit adultery, even if I don't steal or kill, your inward thoughts, the thoughts we have by this flesh, by this nature, that's no different than outwardly how we act. And when I realized that I have no chance at salvation other than Christ dying for me, by Him taking my sins, imputing my sins, dying on the cross for His people, for His flock, knowing that the only righteousness that I can find is in Christ, 
being cloaked in his righteousness. When God looks at me, he doesn't see my evil nature. He sees the snow, the white cloak, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Friends, if you believe that you can just do this and you can hold this commandment and you can do that and you can be saved, none of us can be saved without the blood of Jesus Christ, without his righteousness. Like I said, friends, when I realized that, that was when I was saved. When I realized that just how wicked and all my iniquities and how by nature, how wretched I am. That's when I was saved. When I realized there's nothing I can do but look on to the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing I can do on my own. It's nothing but filthy rags. Like I said, that's when I was saved. That's when God revealed His Son in me. He showed me just how wretched I am. That's when He regenerated this old sinful heart of mine and gave me a new nature. That's when He saved me. We're sons of Adam. When Adam eat from the tree of, of knowledge, it says he died. But he didn't die physically. He died spiritually. He no longer walked with God. Then he realized the depravities. He realized his sinful nature. In Romans chapter 7, Paul said that when he realized, when he heard the gospel and he realized everything that he was doing, everything that he thought that he was doing right, wasn't enough. And he said, then I died. And he knew that he was spiritually dead. The only way he could live was in Christ. Believing that he had no hope at salvation and that his wicked nature, no matter how good he thought he was, he fell short. And we all fall short. And without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have no hope at salvation, friends. Believe with everything in you that without Christ dying for you, you have no hope at salvation. I fight an inward battle all the time. My old nature, by regeneration, the new man in me, my new nature, is a constant battle. The old man's been around for 34 plus years, and this new nature is less than a year old. And that old man does not want to be put down. But I know, friends, without Christ dying for me, I have no chance of salvation. Like I said, being a Christian is a constant battle. But it's a battle that I'm glad to fight. But I don't do it alone. Christ is with me. I am in Christ. Friends, just believe. Believe with everything in you that without Christ dying for you, without Him dying for His flock, without Him dying for His elect, without Him dying for His people, we don't have a chance. People say that God loves everybody. 
If God loved everybody, nobody would go to hell. If Jesus died for everybody, if he died for the sins of everybody, and one person that he died for went to hell, then him dying, it was a failure. He died for his people. He died for his flock. In Romans chapter 9, verse 13, it says, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Christ died for his people. He died for the names that are written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of this world. Friends, God is sovereign. He is in control of everything. Nothing happens that he didn't will for it to happen. Everything is according to God's will and God's purpose. Everything. Friends, just believe with everything in you. And ask God to reveal his son to you. Just believe, friends. Just believe. I'm going to play a sermon for you from Pastor Bruce Crabtree, pastor of the Sovereign Grace Church in Newcastle, Indiana. And if anybody is close, go on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning and listen to the gospel preached. If anybody wants to talk to me or reach out to me, my email is wb at wbwalker.com. You can write me at P.O. Box 48, Dingus, West Virginia, 25671. I imagine there's a lot of folks that listen to the radio show that don't listen to these episodes of the Old Country Church. But just know, friends, just like when I hear music that I like, I want to share it. And there's nothing more important to me in this world than the love of Jesus Christ, and I just want to share it with everybody. I've probably turned folks off from this show, and I don't care. I go forth and I witness the love that Christ has put in me and the change that he's made in me. I didn't love Christ. If somebody would ask me, I'd say, yeah, I love God. But I didn't love Christ, and I didn't love God. I didn't know God, but I'd tell you I did. Until he quickened me, until he pricked this heart of mine and gave me new life, I didn't love him. I'd tell you I did, but I didn't. I want to tell everybody about the love of Jesus Christ. If this offends anybody, I'm sorry. I'm the kind of person, whatever you believe, you believe. Whatever's in your heart, let it shine. Because I'm letting mine shine. Just believe, friends, and know there's nothing we can do on our own. We'll fall short. We'll fall short every time. Without the blood, without the redemption, without God's grace and His Son dying for the sins of his people. But I'm going to play a hymn for you first. The title of this hymn is Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. After that, I'm going to play a sermon for you, like I said, from Pastor Bruce Crabtree at Sovereign Grace Church in Newcastle, Indiana. Like I said, if anybody wants to talk to me, I'm here to talk to you. Here's Pastor Bruce Crabtree for you with a sermon by the name of The End of the Law's Love. Be kind, friends. Love one another. The world we're living in right now, it's 
It's pretty dark times. But just know there's always light in the darkness. And that light is Jesus Christ. I hope the message you're about to hear is a blessing to you. God bless you, friends. Timothy was converted, I guess, under the Apostles' ministry. At least that's my understanding. Very young man. He was a great help to the Apostle. And the Apostle Paul said, I have no man like Timothy that will serve the Lord. He don't care for the things of himself. He cares for the things of others. And 
this young man was going through some difficult times and trials and fears that he faced. And the apostle wrote these two epistles to him to encourage him and instruct him. And this is a portion of that this morning. I want to begin here in verse 5 and read down through verse 11. Now the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfinged, from which some have been swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongles, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stillers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which is committed unto my trust. Love is the end of the law. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us here in verse 5. What he calls the commandment here in verse 5, he calls the law three other times in verse 6, 7, and 8. So the commandment here that he's speaking of is the law. It's not the ceremonial law, but it's the moral law. And what is the aim of the law? What is the aim? What's the goal of the moral law? Well, it's love, isn't it? It's love. The end of the law, that word means the aim, the goal, is love. There was a man who came to the Lord Jesus one time and asked him, Lord, what's the great commandment in the law? He said it's these two things. On the law and the commandment hangs these two words. Thou shalt love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. On all of, all of the commandments and all of the law hangs these two things. That's the goal of the law. Love. To love God. To love God the Father. To love God the Son. To love God the Holy Spirit. To love the church. To love your neighbor as yourself. That's the end. That's the goal of the law. The Bible says in another place that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. To everyone that believeth. The law is righteous in itself. No unrighteousness in the law. And that's what the law demands is righteousness. Now if a man has righteousness, and if he has that righteousness that the law requires, the law demands nothing else. That's the goal of the law is righteousness. But where do we get that righteousness? The law demands it, but the law can't provide it. Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He's the consummation of it. He's the goal of it. 
And when the law looks at the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what the law says? Satisfied. There's my aim, it says. There's my goal. And when it looks at everyone who is in Christ, it says, there's my aim. There's my goal. Righteousness. Righteousness. The law's goal then is to love God and to love man. And where is this love, and where this love is rather, the law is finished. The word means it's concluded. It's reached its climax. It's terminated. Love fulfills the law. But just as righteousness, just as the law cannot produce righteousness, neither can the law produce love. It demands it, but it cannot produce it. Neither is it produced by the natural heart. But it's a divine love. This love that satisfies the law is a love that is divine. It's not a human love. It's a divine love. It's a love that has its origin in Him that demands it. Listen to this passage. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Divine love comes from God and Him only. We can't produce it. We can't work it up. We can't muster it up. And everyone that is born of God, he knows God. And he that knoweth not God, if a man don't know God, listen, he don't love. For God is love. Love is of a divine origin. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And he that's born of God is born of love. And listen, if you're born of God, you not only love Him, but you love everybody else that's born of God. And this is one of the ways we know that we're children of God. When we love God and we love His children. This love that fulfills the law is of divine origin and it comes to us in the new birth. That's where we experience this love. And listen, it's a love that is shed abroad in the heart. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. That word means to pour out, to run greedily. I love that, don't you? It runs greedily through the heart. It don't want anything tampering with it or or standing in its way of running through the heart. It's poured out. The Lord Jesus said it like this, I will put in you a well of living water springing up. And what is that? It's not only the Holy Spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit pouring out this divine love in the heart to fill the heart. It is a love for God the Father. It is a love for Christ the Son. It is a love for the Holy Spirit and a love for others who share this divine nature 
of love. I love the way the Apostle Paul says this. Love, now the end of the commandment is love. It's love. Love is not first and foremost what a believer does. Love is first and foremost what a believer is. That's what he is. He's a partaker of the divine nature, and that nature is not only holy, but that nature is love. The aim of the law is love, and the aim of grace is one. The law has the same aim as grace does, and that's love. The Lord Jesus Christ said, this is my commandment, that I command you that you love one another. And he that rightly commands most graciously gives what he commands. If he commands love, then he gives love. If he commands righteousness, then he gives righteousness. Brothers and sisters, if any of us here this morning have anything that's good that we have not graciously received from the dear Son of God, get rid of it for crying out loud. It's not worth having. What have you but what you have received? We've received everything, haven't we? And this love comes from the Savior. Comes from His heart to our heart in this new birth. This love in and of itself as it flows from its native source is perfect. How could it not be? It's not mixed with any matter or manner of anything that is defiling. This love is divine and being divine it must be perfect. We're born of a perfect love. And as the Holy Spirit sheds this love abroad in our hearts, it's a perfect love. It flows from a perfect source. It's only when we begin to work out this love that we find that it's weak. Working with defiled flesh, Working with weak flesh and sinful flesh, that's where we always find the weakness, isn't it? As it flows through us. This love is not only hindered as to its working in us, hindered by weak flesh, hindered by weak face, hindered by God hiding His face, hindered by severe trials, hindered by the nature and working of sin in us, when it flows out of us, it may not be perfect. But I'm telling you, the nature of it is perfect. Oh, may God help us. May God give us grace that it will be just as pure as it flows out as it was when it was poured in. And someday it will be. Someday it will be. Love itself is a divine thing. And it's perfect. Look over here in 1 Corinthians. Hold our text. Put you a little mark in there or something. Look over here in 1 Corinthians. Paul is telling us here in 1 Corinthians of this perfect love 
want you to notice what he says about it. Here in verse 1, he tells us in these first three verses the necessity of love. Nothing else matters if we don't have love. If we're not born of this love, if we don't have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, nothing else matters. Talk don't matter, does it? Talk is so cheap. Anybody can talk. I used to think when the Lord first said me, first saved me, boy, that guy said some good things. Anybody can say some good things. It's not talk, is it? The kingdom of God is not in word. It's in power. And look here what the Apostle says in verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Man, to speak like an angel. And have not love. I become as tinkling cymbals. Just beating on brass. Dong, dong, dong. We've all seen that show. Used to be on TV years ago. And people would be performing. If you didn't like it, you'd hit that big piece of brass. Dong. Don't. That's what Paul said. If we don't have love, don't. Nothing. Just sounding brass in a tinkling symbol. And look in verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and though I understand all mysteries, and though I have all knowledge, man, I'm sharp. I'm the sharpest tack in the drawer. And look at this. And though I have not charity, I am nothing. Nothing. I'm smart. I got all this knowledge that's puffed up my head, but I don't have love. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And though I have faith, he said, that I could remove mountains. Man, that's a lot of faith, isn't it? And if I don't have this love, this divine love shed abroad by the Holy Spirit, I'm not anything. I'm nothing. And look at this. You talk about a generous person and a self-denying person in verse 3. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me absolutely zero. It's nothing. And he closes this little thought out when he said, Now about us these three... Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Because if we don't have this love, we're nothing. We're nothing. Nothing else matters, does it? Let me read these verses to you about love. And, and, and what Paul is telling us here in verses 4 down through verse 10, or down through verse 8, is this love is perfect. He doesn't say a thing about this this love ought to act this way. and It ought to be this way. And if you let it have free course, this is where He's telling us the nature of love. Let me read this to you out of the Amplified. You probably can't even follow me along because this is the Amplified commentary. And they uh, embellish just a little bit. Not embellish. They uh, enlarge just a, bit, a little bit on these passages. But listen at verse 4. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. Never? Never. Never. 
I didn't say you never did do these things. But I'm saying love never did. It never has. Not the first time. Why? It's perfect. This is the nature of love. Look what he says in verse 5. It is not conceited. It is not arrogant and inflated with pride. It is not rude. Unseemly, that word means rude. Unmannerly. I was watching the convention the other night and all the people left the convention if you were watching any of it. Some of them was going out and, and man, they had these rioters outside. And I saw these old people bent over helping one another. A man helping his wife lead. And this thug ran up to them with his middle finger stuck in their face with a big bullhorn screaming at them. What awful people they were. You know what that is? That's rude. Don't let any of those people say, in their utter rudeness, I got love in my heart. You know nothing about love. Love is not rude. I don't care which side it's on. Love is never rude. And does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not self-seeking, it is not touchy, or fretful, or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but it always rejoices with right and when truth prevails. Love bears up under everything that comes. It is, it is ever ready to believe, to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are faithless under all circumstances. And it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, or become obsolete, or comes to an end. That's the nature of love. That's the love that you're born of. That's the love that's shed abroad in your heart. By the Holy Ghost. And that's the very love that Paul is speaking about in our text when he said, the end of the commandment is this love. That's the aim of the law. And that's what grace gives. I wouldn't want a salvation that does not satisfy the demands of the law, would you? I don't want, I don't want a salvation. The law looks upon me and says, boy, you're like it. I tell you, you're like it. I want the law to look upon me in Jesus Christ. And when it looks upon me with everything that He's provided for me, everything the, the law requires, everything God requires, He freely gives me, and the law says, that's what I'm about. That's my aim. That's my goal. Right there. And to stand before God in judgment and have the law there to witness, that's a righteous man. That man loves. The end of the commandment is love. Look back over at our text in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. The latter part of verse 5. 
The end of the commandment is charity is love out of a pure heart. Out of a clean heart. That's what that word means. It's a clean heart. But who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one, can they? Not one. Some are pure in their own eyes. And some are pure in the eyes of others, but not in the eyes of God. Where do we get a pure heart? Where do we get a clean heart? A clean heart is the work of Almighty Grace. It's even called the creation of God. Listen to Psalms 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. A clean heart is God's work. It's God's creation within. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, No man puts new wine in old bottles. Why? Those old bottles will bust. Old wine skins. They're hard, aren't they? And you put new wine in them that's still fermenting, it'll swell the old wine skins up and crack them and bust them, and you've lost the wine. But you put new wine into new skins. And when the Lord sheds abroad His love in our heart, He doesn't put it in an unregenerate heart. He puts it in a clean heart. A heart that He's newly created. It's impossible for the unregenerate heart to love God and to love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever kind of love He has, it's not divine love. It's impossible for an unregenerate man to love. There's this concept today that everybody loves God at least just a little bit. Everybody loves Jesus. Don't think movie stars love Him. You you even hear these hear these uh, what is they call these guys like Al Capone belong to the, the mobs? Oh, they love Jesus. Yeah, they love Jesus. They go to mass, confess their sins right after they murdered somebody. A man out drunk all night, and he goes to mass. I love Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus in our day, don't they? But to love God, you must know God. And we can only know Him through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this knowledge comes in the new birth. He that loveth not. You mean there's people that don't love God? Yes. There is people that don't love God. And who are they? They that don't know Him. Don't love Him. This is life eternal to know Thee, the true and living God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. Create in me, Lord, a clean heart. And it's that heart in which the love of God is shed abroad by the Holy Spirit. The end of the commandment is love in a pure heart. A pure heart. And he goes on, not only in a pure heart, but a good conscience. A good conscience. Good conscience is right the opposite of a defiled conscience, isn't it? We sin. We rebel against God and our conscience is defiled. 
We lie, we cheat, we defraud, and our conscience is defiled. We live in unbelief, we walk in darkness, our conscience is defiled. How can people like us have a good conscience? Let me show you a couple of scriptures. Hold the text. Somebody said one time, Bruce, when you, when you say you know what the Bible says, then you go ahead and say what the Bible says. And I don't know what the Bible says. I wish you'd start turning to some of these scriptures. So here they are. Look in Hebrews chapter 9. Where can we get a good conscience? If our conscience is defiled by nature and by our sin, and the Lord puts His love in a good conscience, where can we get a good conscience? Look what he says in Hebrews chapter 9. And look in verse 11. But Christ's being come and high priest of good things to come, by greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, to God's presence, to heaven itself, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the flesh of the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, look at this, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Clean your conscience. Purify your conscience. The waters of baptism cannot purify the conscience. Nothing that we can do can purify the conscience. There's only one thing that can reach deep within the stained conscience. And that's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what he says in chapter 10. Verse 21. Having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, near to God, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. What can give us a good conscience? The blood of Jesus Christ. That's it, isn't it? It washes the defilement. It washes the sin. It washes the filth. It washes the stain away. What can wash away my sin? We sing it, don't we? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But bless God, it can. It can. If we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful and just. That's the thing about God. When He saves us and when He forgives us and when He keeps on forgiving us, He's not only faithful to do it, but He's just to do it. He's just to do it. And what does our text say next? And of faith unfinged. Verse 5. The end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfinged. This word unfinged means real. means honest, a sincere faith. A faith, the Bible says, works by love. 
And it's a confidence in the love of God, isn't it? Faith is confidence in the love of God that's revealed in the Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, I believe that God is love. And as amazing as it is, I believe God loves me. That's faith, isn't it? We got a little article in the bulletin this morning uh, by Brother David Edmondson. If you'll read it in there, he said, he said, when when I began to first see these doctrines of grace, and I read Jacob have a love and Esau have a hated, he said, man, I just went beating everybody over the head. Uh, Esau have a hated. Until he said, one day I finally realized, Jacob have I loved. <laughs> and now you can't get over that. The Lord loves me. I believe that, brothers and sisters. I believe that God is love. And the whole scheme of redemption has as its foundation the love of God. Faith unfinished. This word, faith, that's not a hypocrite. Faith may be weak. Your faith may be weak. It may be little. But I'm telling you this much. It's not a hypocritical faith. You're honest about it, aren't you? Your faith is a heart faith, and I'm telling you it's in the Savior. And you're serious about that. And it's not a temporary faith. It's not a faith that's going to hang on and hold out for a while, then quit when trials come. And it's not the faith that devils have. It's a faith that begins to cleave to Christ and trust Christ, and it never will quit cleaving and never will quit believing until faith ends in sight. We are not of them who draw back unto destruction and to perdition. Unfinged. Notice verse 6 and 7. From which some, having swerved, back in our text, have turned aside into vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Verse 6 and 7. Love is not enough for these people. It's just not enough for them. Having a good conscience is not enough for these people. Living and walking by faith is not enough for these people. Paul said they want to get all tangled up in the law. Law, law, law. That's all they want to talk about and think about. Law, law, law. Some of you have said under that. I've not said under as much as you have, but I've said under that. It didn't take me long to get my fill up. You'd think all they meditated on during the week was the law. Because that's all they preach on. James said it like this, Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. And they just come and preach Moses. Every Sabbath day, it's Moses. It's Moses. Here's what John Gill said about verse 8. We know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. The law has a, a good use if a man use it lawfully. And Gill said this, If the law is used in order to obtain life 
and righteousness and salvation by the works of it or by obedience to it, that is an unlawful use of the law. For the law does not give life, neither can it give righteousness. Nor are, nor can men be saved by the works of the law. To use the law for such purposes is to abuse the law, as these false teachers did, and make that which is good in and of itself, that is the law, of a proper improper use. And he didn't stop there. He said this. And to do this is a great evil. It obscures and frustrates the grace of God and makes null and void the sufferings and death of Jesus Christ. We better be careful when we handle the law. Because it can frustrate the grace of God and make the death of Jesus Christ itself void. Here in verse 9, the Apostle Paul gives the useful use of the lawful use of the law. And what's the first thing he says here in verse 9? I want you to notice this. He gives some lawful uses of the law. And the first thing he says is this. Knowing this, this is the first thing. That the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless. Isn't that amazing? This is the first thing we know about the law. It's not made for a righteous man. As I, as I read the commentators, commentators I love, I love these dear brothers. I love Gill, I love Spurgeon, I love Bunyan, I love Horatius Bonard. But it frustrates me to no end when I read them and they, they look at this word, uh, the law is not made for a righteous man. And then when they're finished with that, their conclusion is, the law is made for a righteous man. When it frustrates me to death. They go over Romans 7, you are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, but when they're finished with it, you're not dead to the law. You're not under grace, you're not under works, but you're under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. And I read Dear Bonar on this, and when he was finished with it, I was under law. Everything's upside down, isn't it? We've got so many things turned right upside down in our day. We've got some are saying they're going out to a lost world, and they're telling an ungodly world, God loves you, and so do we. And God has a wonderful plan for you. And He wants to be a part of your life, and so do we. I don't want a part of that life. I had my fill of that life. I'm sorry. I don't want a part of any ungodly, God-hating person's life. Not even my own children. I'm sick of myself in that. Lord, save me from that. I don't want a part of that. I'm sorry. I don't. And then, you've got others who are going to the pulpit and they're burdening the poor afflicted conscience of the saints by demanding of them a forced 
obedience to the law of God. Beaten them up with it. Every Lord's Day, just like Moses, they did in Moses, to preach Moses. Every Sunday they preach Moses. And the poor conscience is afflicted. They've taken Christ. And it comes down to this. God has all of this love for the ungodly and He burdens His saints with a forced obedience to the law. That's upside down, brothers and sisters. And what Paul is saying here is, first, he said, the law is not made for the righteous. Don't beat his conscience up with that. You point him to a substitute. Point him to the Savior. Let him be filled with the love of God in Christ. That's where he'll delight in the law. That's where he'll obey and love. But don't you dare gall his conscience with the law. Don't dare put that around his neck and burden him with that. Then he turns right around and said, well, who is the law for? The ungodly. We don't hear that today, do we? We don't hear the strict law of God being preached to a rebellious society. All we hear today, God loves you, Jesus died for you. Nobody's condemned. Nobody's under judgment. Nobody fears the holiness of God. Nobody knows anything about the strict nature of God's law and how just it is. They can go on in their sins as easily as you can breathe because nobody's telling them, listen, the judgment of God, the curse of God's law abides on your head. That's what he's saying, isn't it? The law is not made for a righteous man, but it's made for the lawless, the disobedience. I want you to turn to another passage. Look over to Galatians chapter 3 with me. Just over to your left. Galatians chapter 3. And look in verse 16. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed, which is Christ, was the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one unto thy seed, which is Christ. All the promises were given to Christ and us in him. And this I say, that the covenant which was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, if these promises are obtained through works, it is no more promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serves the law? Why did God even give the law? What's the use of the law? It was added because of transgressions. It was added to check the conscience of sinful and ungodly men. That's the use of the law. Romans 3 and verse 19 and 20. Look over there right quickly. 
Paul elaborates on this just a little bit in Romans chapter 3. And look at this. You and I are beginning to see all kinds of open and profane lawlessness in our country. And you can, you can trace that right back to the pulpit. It's because preachers have failed to preach the strictness of God's judgment, the holiness of God, the strictness of His holy law and its demands upon a society. We have failed to preach that. And it, the fruits of the ministry has been shown in society. What is the condition of the world outside the Lord Jesus Christ? And it's indescribable, brothers and sisters. It's indescribable. Look what he says here in Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We have two. In our text in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we have two characters here that the apostle identifies that the law sets itself against. Murderers and men-stealers. And I pick these two out because these are something that you and I can relate to in our day. Who is the law for? Murderers. Murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, uh, murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. And he says men-slayers. Human slayers. They take human life. The law is for that kind of people. The law proves their guilt. And boy, we've got them today, haven't we? Murderers? You know how many babies this society has murdered since 1972? A very, very conservative number is right at 80,000. 80 million. They say it's well over 100. They know that. That's an entire generation. Nations don't have that kind of people in them. And we've murdered them. What does the law say about that? Guilty. Condemned before God. Cursed. Cursed. Unless repentance prevent by the grace of God... The law will not only curse them here, but execute them yonder. I don't care what political party you're in. This has nothing to do with politics. You talk to so-called believers and, and politicians about this issue of killing babies. And you know what every one of them will say? Well, I'm not for it. Well, I'm not for it. They're for it. Well, do you agree with them? No, I can never. Why do you support them? Why do you support them? I would to God. We've got old 
I've got old. I'm almost 70 years old. I'm tired. And if God don't get me out of the way and a few more like me out of the way and raise up some young people that's got some guts about them and willing to talk and willing to stand up for the truth, I don't know what's going to happen to them. You know something? When you go up in a mother's womb, I was watching a nurse. Maybe you saw the nurse talking the other night. Planned Parenthood had her to come and work with them for a while, and they sent her over to perform, uh, they, they call it some kind of embryo uh, ejection. Call it what you will, it's murder. And she said they, they did this, uh, will you watch the baby? And they went up in the mother's womb with a suction and said the baby was fighting the tube. The baby was spied in the tube. And the doctor was trying to get the, the suction tube on the baby and said, finally she heard him say, beam me up, Scotty. Did you see that? And sucked the little infant right up that hole. Medical science calls it an embryo or a fetus. You know what God calls it? A baby. Several times it speaks of an infant in its mother's womb and calls it a baby. When Mary went to visit Elizabeth, her cousin, who was six months pregnant with John the Baptist, she said, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. That wasn't a scientific name. All right. Medical science has to name it. Okay. Let's call it what God calls it. A baby. The children being not yet born. And God calls them children. Romans chapter 9 verse 11. The children being not yet born. And they were children. They're not a piece of meat. They can know. They can feel. They can be killed. And millions upon millions have. They're men slayers. That's why Paul said they're condemned. The law proves their guilt. Thou shalt not kill. That's what the law says. And you know who that commandment is for? No sense of you going around beating a Christian overhead. He's not going to kill anybody. He's full of love. You face an ungodly, murderous world. With thou shalt not kill. And say, God's got you charged. And if you don't turn from your sins and find grace in the Savior and forgiveness of sins, you'll stand before God and He'll charge you with murder of the worst kind. Then he goes on here something else, another issue we face in our day, uh, and that's men stealers. Men stealers. Kidnapping. This always gone on. Kidnapping and selling people for slavery of some kind. Did you see this? Was it just a few days ago they found 39 or 40 kids that they had kidnapped and sex, used them for sex slaves? Where was that at? Georgia. Georgia? They found 39 kids in a trailer being used for sex slaves. They say there's millions. A man told me yesterday, he just saw a documentary, millions were being kidnapped. What do they tell us now when we go to the malls and stop on the interstate? Watch your kids. 
Don't let your children get out of your sight. It's a nightmare, isn't it? And who's doing it? Men stealers. You know what the Bible says about that? Listen to Exodus 21.16. And he that stealeth a person and selleth him, or if he be found in his hands, he shall surely be put to death. Listen to Deuteronomy 24.7. If a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel, and making merchandise of him or selling him, then that thief shall die, and thou shalt put away evil from among you. This is one of the verses that got to John Newton. He said, well, I buy slaves. Read his history sometimes. I buy that was his excuse. I buy them. Who would you buy them from, John? I bought them from those who were stealing them. I bought them from those who were kidnapping them. That's who I bought him from. And he learned to abhor that and suffered for it the rest of his life trying to get his stuff. Men stealers. That's who the law is for, brothers and sisters. Use the law lawfully. Point it back at this ungodly world. And says, you're already judged, bud. You better flee your sins. You better turn from your sins to Jesus Christ or the law will execute its wrath upon your head. God's law is inflexible. It's just and it's holy. And it will judge sin. I don't care where it finds it. It'll judge it. Look what it did to the Son of God on Calvary's tree when He hung there with our sins in His body. What did it do to Him? It cursed Him. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. And look how he groaned. Look how he wept. Look how he sobbed there in the garden upon the cross. Why? This holy law, it's inflexible. Oh, I don't want to be found under it, brothers and sisters. I want to see it in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled. And when I see myself delivered from it and dead to it, then I love it. Then I delight it and say, Oh, thy law, how good it is. The law is for all of these people. Paul said in verse 10, If there be anything or anyone that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, just stick it right under the law and condemn it. The only place of refuge... The only place of rest and acceptance is in Jesus Christ. Our Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for letting us come here and open Your Word. We, we tremble. Oh Lord, we fear as we open the Word and say, Thus saith the Lord. You're holy. Your law is holy. Your grace is free. But we're so vile and sinful. We're ashamed of ourselves. We're ashamed of how we act and what we think, what we do. Lord, it's only when we turn our eyes to You that we see ourselves accepted. And we see ourselves without sin because we see ourselves in You and You have none. We thank You, Lord, for this dear people that's come here and sit so respectfully and quietly while Your Word is being preached. Thank You for them. Thank You for the Spirit of promise that's among us today. Oh, give us grace, our Father. 
give us grace to flee and cleave to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we're found under your law, we'll have nobody to plead for us. We'll be condemned and judged and the sentence of death will be executed. Oh Lord, give us hearts to flee. We ask these things for your glory. Amen.